Welcome to Feminists Without Mystique, a podcast where we process politics, sex, and the unrelenting firehose of bullshit in the news through an unapologetically feminist lens. Each week we begin by venting about the news, go deep on one important issue, call out terrible things happening below the top headlines in a segment called We See You, and then we'll end with something hopeful. And just a reminder, if you're enjoying us to rate, review, subscribe, recommend us, it really helps other people discover us. And we always welcome feedback via our social media. We're at FWM Podcast on Twitter and Facebook and Feminists Without Mystique on Instagram. And you can support us by buying us a coffee on Kofi. Give us all your things. <laughs> yeah. And we don't we wouldn't use it to buy coffee. We'd use it to specifically for our audio or our hosting platform that's or yeah. our squarespace so we do enjoy coffee but that's not where your money that's would be not where it's unless going. we were flush with cash but yeah. <laughs> um so far you guys have not done that for us so <laughs> unless you really step it up <laughs> we'll be paying for our own coffee thank you so much um, <laughs> hostile opening <laughs> here we are yeah our main topic isn't so extreme this week it's the Mr. Birthday Party, the guy who told his boss, please don't have a birthday party for me because of valid issues in his life. And then they had mm-hmm. a birthday party and things ensued from there. But first. First. Uh, in Ukraine, things are still um, very bad. It seems like the the attacks from Russia have increased significantly, according to Zelensky and just sort of everybody, mm-hmm. um, particularly the East. Um, Zelensky was calling for no delay in aid. Uh, apparently, the number of refugees from the war has approached 5 million with the UN. Yeah. Um, our, the U.S. Biden administration were thinking about sending about 800 million mm-hmm. um, additional aid to Ukraine, which is significant and Russia had what do they say something unpredictable or something would happen if we provided more aid they sent like a cryptic something super threatening to us that kind of said like you might nuke you right um so that happened um but the the fighting in in the east has increased and um, Russia says their goal is to quote unquote fully liberate Donetsk and uh, Luhansk um, in the east, Ugh. which again don't need to be uh, liberated by Russia. No, it's really it's really sad too. I was reading the latest reports from the New York Times of uh, reports from basically that steam plant that is the basically the last holdout. It's like four-ish miles by the sea um and it seems like it was while it wasn't like actually built for war times it's remarkably mm-hmm. well set up to be kind of a bunker and there's like 2,000 at least civilians and the like remainder of the military they're basically there um with not unclear how much supplies but they've been able to weather like basically constant shelling the worry now is that Russia might po- use gas or um, but they're slowly I, I, it's so scary the way that it keeps being described as like as Russia tightens its grip on the city, Ugh. like you say, like the whole categorization of the next phase once they have Mariupol and there's a full land corridor between those territories and Crimea is just gonna be bad um, <laughs> is my yeah. my my professional assessment <laughs> professional assessment uh, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be bad. Yeah. Um, 
yeah absolutely it's um it's very scary and we'll continue to stay um tuned into what is happening um but it's especially when you consider like putin and who putin is and what he will do Mm -hmm. Um, i didn't even know until pardon my ignorance until i watched rachel maddow (laughs) uh that putin um about 20 years ago there was a uh, memorial set up in Russia for the Stalin Gulag, the murder of like 9,000 Russian individuals, I believe. And um, at one point Putin just said, we're not going to do that anymore. And Stalin wasn't such a bad guy basically. And the two, two of the people that were sort of in charge of maintaining those grounds were charged with pedophilia and locked away. One of them died in jail which is apparently something that, so Rachel Maddow made these connections, not me. <laughs> it's apparently something that Putin and the Russian government have been doing for a while, um, accusing oh, wow. people of pedophilia to get them. Because you hear pedophilia and you're, you're just done, um, mm-hmm. which harkens back to the so many things that people in the right in our country are doing right now. Right. Um, you know, including the <laughs> confirmation of uh, Katanji Brown, including pretty much every Democrat ever running for anything being accused of it. Um, yeah. yeah. So just a sidebar, but something that I, I thought was, um, was interesting an interesting, uh, comparison. Yeah. That's really interesting and, um, unsettling. I mean, the, the more we learn about Putin's background and his motivations, his longtime motivations. Hell um, on earth, this guy. Yeah, pretty pretty creepy, um, and just sort of upsetting that he's been allowed to um, remain in office. Not like yeah, it's just anyway. Um, yeah, pretty unsettling. Just an unsettling situation. Oh, and another just another like pretty shitty thing that I read um, from the New York Times today is as usual, like the U.S. Customs and Border Patrol are failing Ukrainian refugees, but specifically children. Um, there's been instances like at least 50 to 60 documented instances now of, of, uh, separating children from their caretakers, um, at the border for up, you know, at this point, some of them have been separated from aunts or uncles or people who their parents have explicitly, and in some cases gone to the trouble of notarizing, um, documents saying I like authorize this, my child to meet up with my, you know, this, whoever, um, because there's a law in the U.S. that's supposed to prevent, like, it's supposed to be to prevent child trafficking, which mm-hmm. is, of course, a good thing, but it's... Yeah, uh, always it the ha- goal. <laughs> right. Good goal. But misplaced energies when you have kids at the border who are accompanied by an adult, there's notarized documentation, and yet they are forcibly, you know, separating these kids from their, the people who are either meeting them or who have traveled with them, uh, for days, weeks, up to a month so far. Um, and it, you know, the kids are being treated really poorly. Like they're in rooms with other children and government prison facilities, essentially with like, again, those like foil things for blankets. We've seen the pictures from the border crisis in 2018, um, which was slightly different in, in the way in which, you know, the cruelty was the point. Whereas here, I don't think the cruelty is necessarily the point, but the bureaucracy is cruel. Um, And it just seems like let's there's got to be a more efficient way to deploy resources here anyway. So I was just sort of like 
God, can we not be a barrier? Can we at least prioritize making sure that children, if they're coming or they have like, they are with a caretaker, can we just put like resources into quick, like vetting the person they're with now? (laughs) Like, yeah, (sighs) that would be great. Yeah. Because, you know, I imagine there are not a small number of people, of kids who might be fleeing the country who might not be with a a parent, you Mm -hmm. know, especially if you had notarized information, you know, you would think that that would be enough, but it's also hard to put these systems into place last minute, but you would hope that there would be things in place to prevent further separating these kids from loved ones. Um, It's, yeah, it's just... Yeah. Heartbreaking through and through everything yeah. going on. Um, hmm. Oh man. And then we'll talk or you'll get more, t- more into it in your, we see you, but the other big news of the moment, or I guess yesterday was the, uh, the mask mandate getting struck down and, mm-hmm. um, and learning who dispatch is. Who did yeah. it? <laughs> so we got struck down. I was like, that doesn't sound down. <laughs> and then like, I started reading about the person who did it. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't even be in your position, girl. Like, yeah, it is pretty crazy to think of like the way that some of the—I mean, some of, judges hold such power over the whole country, and uh, yeah. makes sense why Republicans did everything in their power to shove through every single Trump appointee that they could oh, possibly could. And it's like you think of the phrase like every any individual can make a difference. Like some individuals shouldn't be <laughs> yeah. powered in that way. <laughs> yeah like uh Catherine you need to sit down and stop making judicial decisions because you shouldn't even be in that spot in the first place but I know uh it's been a while thankfully since we've tackled like COVID broadly god can you imagine when we were like talking about it as a full topic I mean I do every day I work. mean you're you're doing it for your job every day I'm sort of tangentially yeah, a part of it every day. It's it's so exhausting. Um, and thus I, I it's like I'm not even thankfully I I have not been like really burdened by it in the way that a lot of people have. Um, but the news is burdensome. There was a great op-ed that I really wish I could reference now that basically was just talking about the, the author was just frustrated by the lack of alignment and clarity from public health officials just across the board. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of summed up my frustration because, of course, Trump set the Trump administration set a terrible precedent. There was such a gap in leadership. There's a book that's coming out about all the different grifters that were able to just basically like make lots of money off of the, the chaos and the money that was just getting thrown around to random contractors who were just like exploiting the situation. Um, yeah. And people got rich on that. So Trump set a terrible first precedent, but like we're now at a point where the fatigue over two years has calcified into something that I think like a lot of reasonable people who, you know, I think I'm, I feel like I would be sort of the audience for, okay, like I want to continue to wear masks if it's going to make people safer. And Mm -hmm. if there's compelling reasons for it, which I read about and feel that there are still, um, because (laughs) give us that information. Right, but give us that information yeah. and like make mm-hmm. it clear. And there's got to be a way for it to be siloed from political impetus, political decisions, and because otherwise, people are well within their re- their reasonable, logical brains to go. This doesn't make sense if it's here. It, you know, it mm-hmm. either is incredibly of dire importance 
or it's not important at all. Like, I think a lot of people see it that way. And when they say, well, I can take off my masks to eat food. I, it's, it's not okay. Yeah, explain here, it to me. Yeah. Right. The inconsistencies anyway. And so I'm just sort of like seeing the mask mandate lifted with planes. Like, I'll be honest, there was a huge, there was a part of me that was sort of like, Ooh, yay. You know? And then, but like, you yeah. know, just cause it was sort of like, either we keep them and we're doing it or we're not. And like, but I did really deeply feel for the people who were midway through a flight. And if you were immunocompromised, you'd made a ton of calculations and you were on a flight. Mm -hmm. That's, I think those, I mean, I'm, yeah, that, that was tough to see. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people in the public health world, I think. So when you work for like the local health department jurisdiction you answer to the state and the state answers to other people right so you don't have a whole lot of power or say in things but I will say <laughs> when the mask mandates are being rolled back it was there's just a general consensus of like what the fuck are we doing and mm -hmm. you know in the county that I work in there are lower case counts than certain other counties but higher percentages of people hospitalized with COVID, like other markers that tell you COVID is still circulating. And that's the thing is like, we don't have good numbers on COVID right now because people either aren't testing or they're not reporting their test results to their local health jurisdiction. Because I think a lot of people, not unreasonably so, might test themselves and test positive and then reach out to people who they might have come into contact with rather than calling the health department and letting them know about their test result, which then the health department can't verify, but will will jot down. Um, mm -hmm. And it's my understanding that a lot of the guideline changes were due to political pressure, not due to evidence-based research. In fact, mm -hmm. I'm pretty certain in, in making that uh, assertion, <laughs> that assessment, because uh, I see the data and I see the things that people are doing. Right. Um, right. <laughs> and I mean, there are positives to being maskless and having, you know, <sighs> but that being said, yeah, it, it feels like certain, in my opinion, certain things were taken away prematurely mm -hmm. because it's so much harder to reinstate a restriction than it is to take it away. Mm -hmm. um, and we knew BA2 was like we knew things were going to happen and things were going to spread and I think public transportation is, is a good place to require masks because everyone needs to you know if we're trying to protect vulnerable people like you need to protect public transportation and that's a place where people are really um, close up and that's a place where at least where I work we found a lot of out outbreaks on like buses specifically mm. um, so there's like a reason to, yeah. to wear masks on public transportation mm -hmm. um it feels like that's kind of being lost in the weeds with a lot of other things and it, it i'm worried that there's going to be an attempt to add new restrictions sometime in the future and that that's going to go really poorly and that this yeah. this attempt was done um out of political interest but it's going to end up backfiring because people <laughs> really don't like things that they feel like were <laughs> you know, forced upon them again when they thought they were rid of them. So 
Right. Right. It seems we'll like see. with with every like rollback and then reinstatement, people get more upset and more um, so unwilling <laughs> to comply. Oh, for sure. And personally, I'm like, just tell me what, like, if you give it to me based on evidence and data, I would mm-hmm. be more than willing to like go with the flow and the tides. And yep. if I knew that the information coming to me was based on anything. Right. But now like a lot of people just don't wear masks. I wear masks almost everywhere. Yeah. Because like, I got a baby, you know, like yeah. they spending more time um in the same city as my dad who has health issues. Like mm-hmm. it's just safer for me to do so. Um but I think it's really, really dangerous when as a public health ed- entity it doesn't appear that you're making decisions based on um public health. And of course mental health and social health are important as well, but like there's no middle ground or in between. It's just, mm-hmm. or explanation. So people can make their own assessments. It's just sort of yeah. it's a ham fisted approach. Yeah, it's tough. And then the people who are um, for masking basically at all times, like their rhetoric on social media and at other places is pretty tough on everyone else, um, which can be alienating I think you know and I'm trying to look at it and just be like hey wait a second I don't think that like every single person who is like oh cool if there isn't a mandate I'm gonna take my mask off then if I'm not you know around vulnerable people like I would just feel like I'm representative of a certain segment of people who are just like in their apartment still working remote most days and aren't coming into contact with that many people mm-hmm. so like if there's no mandate for the rest like for in restaurants for instance when that went down it's like great so I'm I'm not going to wear one, but on in places where they say masks suggested or preferred, mm-hmm. I would put it on, you know, it's just like, I'm just going to follow one thing I've learned recently, or I've tried to distill about myself. Cause I was sort of like, okay, what, what really bothers me about masks or like about not masks, but about situations like societal situations recently that really agitate me. Mm-hmm. And it's the it's the lack of clarity and the lack of rules. I mm-hmm. am a rule follower. I will follow. You are. You have been <laughs> since the day I met you. You're the queen. <laughs> I follow the rules. She so does. just make a rule. And honestly, I'm not even – I a little bit of a sheeple on that. It's just, is it a rule? Is it being enforced? Like, even if it isn't being enforced, it's a rule. I'm going to follow it. That's just sort of, I do not like I love that. I feel like that should be like an SNL short, you know? (laughs) I don't like being scolded or being in trouble or confronted. And, you know, I just don't like You trust in a good rule. I like, I do trust in a good rule. But you know what? So it bothers me. It bothers me equally. Like, the mask non-clarity because Uh it's like everyone feels like they're right. Well, because you know what is right? Wearing a fucking mask all the time <laughs> for the eternity. But we don't know what COVID's going to do. Right. And that's like, and that, yeah. So everyone feels like they have a, they have a correct opinion slash like rule with COVID. We literally so. all do. Go on. <laughs> and then like, then this is hilarious. You'll see where I'm going instantly. But I also find a Seattle is especially frustrating in this way. Um, there's like a lot of fake, um, rules and non, and not real rules when it comes to drivers and bikes and walking. And I fucking, I am, it is, is absolute chaos. The street right next to us is like, it says closed road, like, but it is not in fact closed in any way. Like cars can go through there, but it's a suggested road where 
if you don't have to drive there, you should it should be closed. It's like, but it's not closed then because cars can. So, but then people will walk in the middle of the street and glare at cars, you know, and it's like, but it's not technically closed. The bike lanes, it's like bikes can be in the middle of a car lane. It's like, well, bikes. And then they're like, I have every right to be in the middle of the the lane. It's like, well, you're putting yourself in danger and cars and literally everyone and you feel like, you know, anyway. So there's like just a whole variety of things recently where it's like either make it a rule and enforce it or get rid of the rule. Well, the thing that's so spooky about public health is like, you got to make rules because like people, mm-hmm. like if you explain, like there are individuals where like, if you explain like the nuances between different things, people will make educated decisions, which I think also should be offered. And I think that mm-hmm. any individual human being in the world should be able to like look at their local area and read something in a way that they understand so they can make an actually informed decision about how to protect the health of themselves and their loved ones. However, <laughs> that's not always the case right um and we need to live in the world that we live in and it, i mean the cdc was just, i feel like the cdc was just like i keep getting shit on and i'm <laughs> done with it and i'm done with all of you people yeah that's how like a lot of people are feeling like we're feeling working in like health departments because yeah people were so mad at you every day no matter yeah. what your job was whether you're public facing or not people would find your phone number your work number call you and leave you messages just complaining about the mask mandate i got these calls i don't have anything to do with writing the rules around that if i did you'd still be wearing a mask on a plane Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but people like they they find these like they just wear you out and then i think this is purely my um speculation i have no data to (laughs) to back this up but i do feel like if you work in public health and you have some sort of influentiality in your voting or in in how you live then you might be targeted in a different way you know i can confirm from my side of things that is true yeah 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 yeah, yeah, i would imagine and we even had something where it's like people on a certain team believe that we should make a more strict rule Mm-hmm. And then the people in charge said, why don't we ask the facilities we work with if they want that rule? Of course, they're not going to want it. They don't want it, and we're not doing it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's this, like, politicalization to it where, like, if people aren't willing to work with you, rather than you being like, I'm the health department and this is a law, you're like, okay. Yeah. I guess that's how you do it. And I think yeah. that is so stupid you yeah. know like i don't think we should be like laying down the law on people but i think it's our literal job yeah <laughs> to come in and be like hey i noticed you like to really spread infectious disease <laughs> have you thought about not spreading infectious disease you know like, yeah yeah but not necessarily always the uh the role apparently <laughs> it's all yeah. about the role <laughs> it's about the role well and pointing at someone else yeah Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, just the fatigue, the goddamn fatigue. I've, I've, I've laid down a law in this apartment, which is we're not talking about it because <laughs> we can't affect the change or the policy. And uh, it wears me, really wears me out mentally. <laughs> fair. Yeah. Fair, fair, fair. Well, anyway, that happened. We'll see how everything goes. But right now, it's just. <laughs> Twitter is a dumpster fire, but um, 
I'm excited to talk about this guy because uh, this, this guy, guy this Kevin. anxious man, Kevin, <laughs> and his party. Mm. I must. I feel like we're both probably on Kevin's side. In yes. This. Yeah. Um, Kevin Burling, <sighs> sweet poor Kev, uh, lab <laughs> tech um, at a COVID testing company, I believe. Uh, so five days before he turned 27, which also like, oh, sweet big boy. I know. Um, reiterated to his boss that he associated his birthday with bad memories, didn't want like a whole party. His fear around having a birthday party was something with like childhood trauma and his panic disorder. And the chief of staff forgot to relay the message to the person with who was charged with like handling employees' birthdays. Mm-hmm. I feel bad for the second person in that story. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so Kevin Burling comes to work the following week, August 7th, 2019. Um, and there was a whole birthday party for him. Birthday wishes, birthday banner, birthday party, everything. He quit, He left the party. He went to his car um, and ate his lunch in his car because of something that happened in his life and his, his mental health uh, mm-hmm. disorder that meant that having a birthday party for him wasn't a fun occasion right. and you shouldn't be subjected to that at work no. in my opinion and then they brought him back to discuss the party and what went wrong but the lawsuit filed notes that the person in charge of the parties read uh, the riot act and accused him of stealing co-workers joy which like Gross. Oh, discussing that piece yeah. someone referenced him being a little girl yeah uh, when I was a little girl, I loved birthday parties. There are different types of little girls. And it's mm-hmm. a weird comment to make. And the meeting, sort of discussing his behavior in a fucked up way, led to another panic attack. And then the company sent him home again. And then they fired him over email, saying that basically that they were worried that he was violent because of the panic attacks that he suffered. Um, and the jury gave him $450,000, 300000 of that for o- emotional distress and 150000 in lost wages because the company he worked for experienced a drastic increase um, in revenue and in wages after he left. Chief Operating Officer Julie Brazil said that he violated a workplace violence policy. Um, and another spokesperson said that he should have never gone to trial because he did not disclose that he had a disability and made threatening behavior to a female supervisor after the party. Meanwhile, his representatives say he had a panic attack. That's all. Um, And because representatives from gravity diagnostics where he worked did not understand his panic response and were unnerved by his response. They assumed he was a threat, assuming that people with mental health issues are dangerous without any evidence of any violent behavior is discriminatory. Um, Mm -hmm. <clears throat> further statements from Mr. Booker. So a lot to uh, unpack here. And I, th- I, yeah. I feel as if we're probably on the same page. But <laughs> yeah. It's an interesting ecosystem, the, the workplace. Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. It's also interesting in the context of um, all this back to work discussions where people are arguing like those Kim Kardashians telling us stop being so lazy. (laughs) Right. Stop being lazy. They want us to stop being lazy. They also want us to appreciate the office for social interactions, including often these types of like birthday celebrations, um, which is supposed to add to company bonding and those types of, you know, just kind of bullshit reasons that companies mm-hmm. give for like 
being in the office and being present. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting background to think about here. It so says the quiet part out loud, I think, about birthday office birthday parties, which is that it's for everyone else in the office and not for the person whose birthday it actually yeah. is. <laughs> like, I would never want to celebrate a coworker's birthday knowing that they felt weird about birthdays. Yeah. Like, that's a coworker where instead of celebrating a birthday, like, you get them a muffin quietly on your break, you know? like Right. Or you just... Get, well, you you know, everyone signs it. a card you give them the card and it includes like a gift card that you guys all pitched in for or something for something outside work that this person can do on their own mm-hmm. and even the card honestly like depending on what the drama or the like that you've experienced in your life drama trauma I believe is probably more <laughs> the drama <laughs> like <Maria>. drama <laughs> um depending on what you've experienced and you might not even want a card so Honestly, the the sad it's sad to me because he explicitly communicated to um his supervisor that he didn't want a birthday party. And it's really yeah. I you know, I think it's interesting, but it's also tough. Like first of all, you've explicitly expressed what you want. Mm-hmm. Um and is it really uh the purview of a company to decide like to determine what your appropriate level of anxiety that is for the court to adjudicate yeah and like and like essentially saying like oh some level of anxiety is does make a difference to us but like we're not going to give you anything yeah (laughs) for that or acknowledge your own anxieties or your own situation or the fact that like they said that he didn't disclose his disability so probably what happened and again this is my assumption is that he went to them and said like hey this makes me feel x y and z i don't want to do it without saying i have anxiety you right. know like i have anxiety i've never made any sort of accommodation request at work because i haven't had to but if mm-hmm. i did have to and i didn't say out loud like i, I feel like michael scott in the office like, <laughs> i declare bankruptcy like i have anxiety like <laughs> Is that the expectation now? Like, right. One thing that's hard about the story to like talk about is we weren't there. So there is this sort of like dispute between whether the behavior he exhibited was violent or not. Right. But his, his party is very, very, very strict on the fact that like, no, there was no violence happening. Like he got upset and Mm -hmm. that was scary to people because they don't understand anxiety disorders. Right. Um, which is very different from being threatening towards somebody. It's there are different things if you had like intent to maliciously threaten someone versus somebody saw your panic attack and thought that it looked scary to them. You know? It's very, very different. Right. There's sort of like when the um I actually thought that um Snopes had a really great breakdown of this whole oh, pull it um, out. Pull out the Snopes. They got so, it. You know, because they, they describe they they also kind of call out some of the reporting and the headlines as being relatively misleading because it's like, yeah, he, he didn't win four hundred and fifty thousand dollars because like they threw him a birthday party he didn't want. It was like No, you it, know I, it got so annoyed at those like hot takes where they're right. like, Enjoy your birthday party. Right. It's like, okay, so first of all, that's not really what happened. But when it comes to the his, his behavior, it was like, it looks like he, you know, they're, they describe it as he became very red. He then closed his eyes and clenched his fists. 
when Miss Blackburn asked if he was okay, he closed his eyes, opened his eyes, looked directly at her, and commanded silence. He clenched his fists and commanded silence. That's repeated a couple of times. Um, and then they say that Miss Blackburn became afraid and thought he was going to literally strike her. Um, they observed him closing his eyes, clenching his fist, grinding his teeth, and became red in the face. He also commanded silence, and they feared for their safety and believed that he was going believed that he was going to punch or attack them. So I, I that is not expressions yeah, of explicit violence. He didn't threaten anybody. Right. People were just nervous about behavior that was happening. Due to their own actions and insistence on talking about a thing he had already said he didn't want to talk about. And like, I, I, again, full disclosure, I enjoy a a fucking office party. (laughs) I'm that sick bitch who's like, (laughs) I love an office party. I really do. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, But I would... Yeah, a lot of people don't feel that way. And I understand that. And that's why I'm never the person who's like, let's all hang out after work. It's like someone else brings it up. And I'm like, okay, let's uh, discuss that. Let's discuss this. (laughs) For uh, 30 to 45 days out. Yeah. Uh, Party planning committee. (laughs) Exactly. It's not like there shouldn't be an expectation that you go into work and you're ready for like a shindig at any point given moment yeah it's not what work is for if you're doing something and honestly I feel like everyone who is in an office right now or a supervisor you can just feel free to write this down this is it work is work it you don't have to we don't have to foster a lot of like meaningless let's be family It's, you know, the whole talking about it as being family is, as many articles have been written about it, very emotionally manipulative and one-sided. Oh, it's, it's hell on earth. Because <laughs> family, it'll it'll be family until they need to fire you and then they'll, they'll or, or let you go and then yeah, they'll do that. Yeah, family's not supposed to let you do that. <laughs> yeah. Family's not supposed to let you go. <laughs> no, no. So, yeah, it's work. We can all, like... We can let work be work and then if there's a natural reason to celebrate someone's birthday or a milestone there I think are very appropriate ways to do or that if you have like if you have a workplace culture where you want to celebrate birthdays yeah I think you can still do that but if someone explicitly says I don't want this right don't do it right that's what I mean like if someone says they don't want it you know there is no need flag it as, also if anyone flags anything as something that triggers them due to like childhood trauma make sure that gets passed along yeah like i feel like that that, fall through that was i think the biggest thing in this whole story is someone in hr was snoozing Ugh. um because if this gets presented to you it's so hard for me not it, to shade hr i just have we ever were have you ever worked in a department where there's an hr there's HR competency. Uh, <laughs> like, um, I mean, ooh. you can say no if it's true. <laughs> now I'm a little small. Um, yes, and I mean no. a department, the Department of Human Resources. There are, I will say this. I will say there are two main <laughs> people in the Human Resources Department where I work, and one of them is a queen, and the other uh-huh. one is a man, and he's not as good at his job. It's really challenging because they send us candidates that aren't actually qualified for the job and things like that. Yeah. 
Yeah. <sighs> I mean, those types of roles, I think when you put, I think, I think human resources departments are put in a weird spot generally when they're supposed to be recruiting, like when they're supposed to be recruiting for specific, very, um, for just for roles that are very specific and that um, it's, it's more likely that the people who are looking for the role, like that are hiring for their team would know what they want to look for. I, I don't, I don't love like off offloading that to HR because yeah, they're going to They don't get what the team time. needs. <laughs> yeah. And then they're like, Hey, I sent you this person who's never worked anything related to their lives lives literally in Lithuania in the sea. Yeah. Um, but I thought maybe you'd want to hear hear about that. Hear what they had to say. <laughs> Relocate well, them. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, this job requires them to, to show up and COVID test people. But thank you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, HR can be queens or or problems for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Just, and they're, con- I mean, they, unfortunately, too, and maybe this is more a function of just Why do you hate itself. HR? God, <laughs> they're going to send us a lot of emails from here. Yeah, well, a lot of emails are sent and nothing really happens. <laughs> and this week of the episode, Maria comes for HR fully, completely. I, you know, it's, it's, I think. What did they do to you, girl? <laughs> waste my time. Yeah, they do do, I mean. They waste my time. When they have an internal candidate and they interview, you're like, oh, God. Level with me, bitch. Well, I mean, how many times do I have to follow up about the same status? What's going on? Any new candidates? Any new candidates? You know, um, it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I guess to give them, to cut them slack that they may or may not deserve <laughs> um, as, a, as a community. <laughs> I'm really in a mood today with HR. I love it. <laughs> I think – the department itself is um, just set up to fail because they are called human resources, which is sort of robotic anyway. Like we are the resources for humans. Like why? I never knew how much you hated HR. Well, and they're set up to protect the company, not the actual employees. So that's fair. Like, so it's just kind of like, but then they're supposed to be there to like sort of help like they first had that we're all friends, but really they're just there to yeah, turn the yeah. yeah. No. So anyway, that's like a whole side thing with HR, but I just find Maria has big problems with HR. <laughs> Anecdotally, I am not impressed. I mean, and there are, you know, there have been problems over the years with how different HR departments have handled certain things. And sometimes yeah. I will say they could be a bit toothless <laughs> um yeah with that but i thought interviewed to be on the hr team so like boo well, yeah to them um because it's, it's funny because like, you're supposed also... to be like serving those humans that work at the company that you work at right and i think sometimes they're sort of locked in this weird state where like they have to be like advocates of the company but mm-hmm. maybe they don't want to be yeah i just there should be a, a tv show on nbc called hr yeah oh my gosh you should you should write that we i might write, write outbreak investigations yeah human resources like parks and rec but like some people are better at their jobs and some people are much worse yeah because i it's funny. There have been a, a couple of friends that I've sort of been like, 
genuinely and I mean I'm like meaning it in like 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 I think that there are some people who could actually be really valuable assets to an HR department like people who really HR, the thing is like people. HR does matter right like deeply like, that's the thing it's not that they don't matter but unfortunately they don't behave like they matter Maria's been fucked two times <laughs> west on Sunday about these HR issues <laughs> She's looking for a new contact <laughs> in any field, in any state. <laughs> well, by the way, also in small companies, what's the first co- what's the first department that just doesn't exist? Maybe it's because of people like Maria who talk shit about their. <laughs> My God, woman! I know, I know, I know. It's but like it, I don't even. It's have... a good thing to point out, actually, because it is a part of a part of people. It's a part of you. It's a part of a lot of people's lives. And then when it isn't, and it should be like, that was my life in New York. It was like, could we get a goddamn HR department in this place? Or Hey, anyone want to talk about how this is inappropriate? Everything around me all the time. No, thank you. Bye. No. Yeah. Okay. Ha ha ha. Anyway. So yeah. Who knew I had these strong feelings. <laughs> I love it though. That's how we learn. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's how we all learn. Uh, cool. Well, Kev, Better luck next time. <laughs> I think he did pretty well. I think, okay, at yeah. the end of the day, how do you feel about the money he was awarded? I feel like, yeah, 450000 is a lot of money, but, like, mm-hmm. we give away less for less, and we're all just trying to get money right now, and I feel like, yeah, give it to him. Give him yeah. some of it. You know, I'm not, like, angry about people getting what they want or need right now. No, um, like I would love a little like sprinkling of of Kevin's fund, um, <laughs> but I'm, I, you know, I'm more than happy for him as well. You know, yeah, I mean, he's the one who took on the lawsuit uh, against his company, True. and uh, that can't have been easy. He did lose his job, so he, I think, the sure. wages, you know, and the emotional. Like that's, it was that's called a like a thief of joy. Literally, like, yes, can you imagine, girl, like, like in the midst of being fired, being called a thief of joy, <laughs> like, thief of your you better joy. Yeah, you better fucking give me the full amount, like. <laughs> I mean, I also was just in a little bit of a tiff earlier today, and it's a recurring thing. With Ooh, um, I love Marina Tiff. Yes, yes. I'd prefer you to never feel tiffy, but when you are in a tiff, if everyone's in a tiff, yeah. I want to hear your opinion, you know? <laughs> well, thank you. You're so... <laughs> um, yes, earlier today, for some reason, the demise of Gawker came up when I was talking to Campbell. Oh, and R.A.P. I know, and I feel very strongly about this. Like, I am super like, – this is all because we, you asked about the money for Kev's. So people get awarded lots of money for dumb shit all the time, like Hulk Hogan getting awarded, like, a fuck ton of money from that Gawker lawsuit and the damages Why that they – Why wouldn't he, though? It's Hulk Hogan. You know, he's, like, an icon. Oh, God. Yeah, Hulk Hogan and Bubba the Love Sponge. The other person you had to have sex with one of them which one mm, no would you ha- okay would you have sex da- Hulk Hogan consensually <laughs> for five million dollars no I would <laughs> five million dollars I'm sure my husband's like sorry down the river five million dollars you would have sex with Hulk. five million if you could pick no. the position 
Uh, I really respect you, Maria. Wow. Thanks. Yeah, I still think no. I had oh, that mustache gosh. is like unbelievable. Oh, he's disgusting, but like <laughs> that's a lot of money. The mustache is a no. Um, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah it's a like a no in theory, but my God, <laughs> wow. Practice. Good, good for you. Wow, your mother. Sure when if a- if and when your mother listens to this, she's gonna be like. <laughs> Now I know. Now I know I did right. Now I know I raised my daughter. Yes, and my I'll mother's know. rolling around in her grave. Be like, my daughter's ready to fuck Hulk Hogan for how many dollars? Oh my gosh! Well, you live and you learn. You live and you learn, and yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I mean, if my dad has feelings about it, he'll drag us on Twitter tomorrow morning, as he has a couple of times recently. I- Oh, did he drag? Well, oh, I, I need to tune in. I would live for your father. Your father yeah. is my one of my favorite fathers <laughs> of all fathers. Let the record yeah. show. Yeah, I forget I what we, it was. It was recently. Um, I think it was maybe one of our Oscars takes. Oh, yeah. was it, was it something I did, Nick? I'm so sorry. <laughs> I think we both did it. I think it was a a mutual opinion. Well, I'm glad we that he's great at debate. least. I'm glad he's at least like you know fair about it yeah oh yeah sometimes i'll wake up to a um like a text give him my number i want his you know like i want him to ridicule me in the mornings i'm also hunting for your father's approval so like i need to know when i need his disapproval like factored into my days right right well we'll have to you find know the group text yeah, you've known, since I met you, you've known this. Come on. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah, we'll get a group text going for Thanks. feedback, constructive criticism on the pod. Wonderful. Oh, my God. Yeah, should basically. We... <laughs> should we do? Yeah, circling back and closing, uh, putting, you know, putting a little bow on. What this... did dad say? <laughs> <laughs> putting a little birthday bow on this Kevin discussion. Inappropriate, Maria. Um, he, oh, I you. think that like the money, um, I'm totally fine with it because we award so much ridiculous money uh, arbitrarily yep. to those were my thoughts. I'm mm-hmm. like, you know what? If <laughs> sure, this guy should have four hundred fifty thousand dollars. Money means nothing anymore, and like right. they were mean to him. Sure, yeah, fine. tack on a few zeros. I just, I know, cares? like we'll take a few zeros too if like you're willing. If not, it's fine. But like, right, I'm not, right. I'm not upset about him. Oh, good loose episode we're doing today. Woo woo! Oh, the loosest. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> You're going to keep us in check. You let us run rampant. (laughs) Sure, I could have kept us in check, but that's your job. (laughs) You're not bad today. (laughs) No, I love your father and your mother, honestly. I mean, your parents. If I could have chosen to be adopted. Oh, well, you're going to be so close to them now, so you'll all. Yeah, and this would be like. They're going to be thinking about you and Hulk Hogan. We can't do this anymore. (laughs) You're not our daughter. We don't know Hulk Hogan. Stop (laughs) calling us. Stop texting us. Like, we gave you all we can give you. Uh, Okay. (laughs) And now for We See You. All right. We'll circle into this one. Um, So in 2021... 
you all may remember when DeSantis banned the teaching of critical race theory, um, which is what... So critical race theory means a million things now. Yeah, it just means um, whatever conservatives want. Literally, it means whatever they decide it is. Yeah. Um, so DeSantis described it as the theory that racism is not merely the product of prejudice, but that racism is embedded in American society and its legal systems in order to uphold the supremacy of white uh, person and people, which I fully agree with, actually. Um, however, <laughs> mm. the Florida Education Department has rejected 54 mathematics textbooks for its uh, K-12 curriculum. And one of the big reasons that they cited was the inclusion of critical race theory. Did they do that? <laughs> Let's dive a little bit uh, deeper. So the rejected books in general, like using all reasons for the rejection make up a 41% which is a record an all-time record of the 132 books submitted for review 28 of those 132 were rejected because they incorporate prohibited topics including critical race theory uh critical race theory has been described by academics as an examination of racism and its impact through systems such as legal housing and education however the typical critical race theory is not taught in k through 12 which has been repeatedly ignored. Mm. Uh, so there are versions of critical race theory where you basically educate children on the history of certain things, but you're not speaking to it in the way the legal scholar would. But the names of the rejected books were not included, um, and they're actually choosing not to let anybody know why they chose to keep certain books out mm. as well. So they Why chose, they? yeah. So they chose certain books to exclude, and then decided not to say why. Mm -hmm. um, great, which isn't super great to the fostering of like an education. Mm -hmm. DeSantis seems to be bad, but go forth and ugh, he's awful. We see you, Diane Feinstein. She she needs to retire. <laughs> she. Needs to retire now. She's the oldest serving senator. She's beating, she beats Chuck Grassley by a few months. She's 88. She's, uh, her term is up in 2024. Um, and there have, this has been an open secret for a while. I think we've talked about it before, but recently, like, there was an, another, uh, detailed article by the San Francisco, Francisco Chronicle detailing all the ways in which she's mentally unfit to serve and a lot of people are speaking on the con you know condition of anonymity because they're longtime colleagues and but they've said like sh they have to continue to reintroduce themselves to her they have to remind her of conversations and interactions um and uh there she can no longer hold a rigorous policy discussion um and it's like they have to just have small talk questions. And even that, um, unfortunately, like she can't really carry on those conversations. So um, it's leaving a lot of people unnerved. Um, and it's really frustrating to me because we, you know, California is a state of like 40 million people. Um, and she's obviously uh, unfit to um, fulfill the duties of a senator with 40 million people. It's a really big responsibility. There's a Democrat that could fill her seat. Um, she needs to, it's very frustrating that we do live in, in, in um, 
we live in, uh, in a country where so many of the people who are in power are very old and are, are loose, losing their grip on reality a little bit. Like yeah. Chuck Grassley's also not in great shape, but he doesn't have the same sort of mental deficit that has been widely reported of Diane Feinstein. We all saw this on display um, during the um, Amy Coney Barrett hearing where she hugged uh, Lindsey Graham and was like, this has just been Ugh. like, thank you for the most fair hearing Ugh. I've ever been a part of. And everyone was you like, hug Lindsey Graham, you're what broken. the hell are you talking about? Like, I mean, it was just sort of like, it was mortifying. It was enraging. It was sort of like, obviously you don't, in this moment, you, you have no idea what you're talking about. Like, she also totally botched the, you know, Christine Blasey Ford. She was a part of that. I mean, she was one of the two senators that um, Christine Blasey Ford had 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 sent her letter before Brett Kavanaugh was even um, nominated when he was on the shortlist. She she sent letters to her senators and to the con- um, her congressional can- uh, representative and Diane Feinstein's office like sat on it, you know, and they so. It's it's it is really really frustrating, um, and uh, she. I, I guess there's there's not more a whole lot more to say, but without just repeating myself, um, I I I she's served for a long time. She's had her, she's been able to be impactful, um, and staying remaining in office like this is really tarnishing her legacy, um, and it's it's time for someone else to be mm-hmm. to get a chance to serve. Um, so I just, I, I cannot say strongly enough, like, come on, we see you, please retire. Why do you hate women? Okay. The movie, <laughs> no, I full throatedly agree with everything you just said. Um, <laughs> moving along to uh, Texas and mm. a dolphin um, and a really sad story that I didn't, think I would I didn't even I mean obviously I know Texas geographically but I never thought I'd be reading a dolphin story about this Mm. um so there was a dolphin who was stranded on the beaches in Texas and that dolphin died after being harassed by a crowd of people who tried to ride the dolphin and do other Mm. like like fucked up things that you know you're not supposed to do to like endangered or any kind of wildlife um, they pushed the animal back into the sea and then tried to ride it. Um, and the animal expert said, like, you can't do this. Please stop doing this. Um, called the incident a tragedy and said that Paul, uh, while park staff was called to assist in this instance, it was too late by the time that they were called. It was a retrieval and not a rescue. Um, and it's, I mean, it's sad number. Obviously, human lives are more significant than animal lives. However, <laughs> animal lives do mean a lot. And um, it's really disheartening the level of um, kind of callousness mm-hmm. around this. Um, the idea that you can just do this to any kind of creature and a dolphin and walk away and it's okay. Um like, this wasn't, like, a tragic accident. It was tragic, but it wasn't an accident. Mm-hmm. And I think that's sort of, like, the saddest saddest part of it for a lot of people is the idea that 
um, individuals would choose to for fun or for laughs like end the life of a creature that has been shown to be an empathetic creature at least to some extent even if not like they're a living being yeah Um, so it's a it's a it's a big vcu um and a big question mark as to why uh human beings are allowing this kind of behavior to persist Um, yeah there's no like real reason for it um it doesn't make a lot of sense and um there's a lot of love for for dolphins and the fact that this happened is really um yeah really disheartening yeah it really is like we're supposed to be seeing how bad the world can be and doing better you know yeah sometimes we're kind of doing worse yeah we see you that's such a bummer that's so sad it's just like random acts like why torture a dolphin you know like can we not torture dolphins can this just like not be part of what we discuss in our day-to-day lives no that's so sad that's so sad oh i hate it yeah there's no reason Ugh. um okay what now maria Ugh, i know i'm like, yuck um so um the rnc uh republican national committee um has pulled out they unanimously voted to pull out of the um the uh presidential commission on debates because they felt that it was biased um mm. Yeah, uh, this the Republican the Commission on Presidential Debates um, was established by Democrats and Republicans uh, in 1987 um, to ensure that there was a like nonpartisan committee that sort of helped shape the electoral process uh, and the debate the national debate structure. Um, but yeah, they've the Republicans have voted unanimously to leave, um, which ends three decades of civic cooperation in in a specific way. Um, And according to chairwoman Ronna McDaniel, she said, uh, the commission on presidential debates is biased and has refused to enact simple and common sense reforms to help ensure fair debates, including hosting debates before voting begins and selecting moderators who have never worked for candidates on the debate stage. Um, (coughs) And she uh, it's, really feels like um a lot of people were pointing out that it seems like this was done for trump specifically i mean the debates last time with with biden were so appalling especially the first one where it was like just so depressing and like i think george stephanopoulos at the end was said something like i don't even know how to respond to that it was so ugly and like just in an unprecedented way Mm -hmm. but i this really does feel like yet another thing where this is norm defying. This is unprecedented. This is another step towards uh, not uh, engaging with the other side and not all, and not forcing candidates to be able to um, debate. I, like I don't know if we're going to have presidential debates, and that's really weird and fucked up and scary. Very spooky. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's sort of part of civic discourse. Is, is it's uh, what you're taught. Yeah. It's right. Part of it supposedly maybe um, not anymore right and also this is sort of frustrating when um people were constantly talking 
about how Republicans were arguing that January 6th, the riots and attacks at the Capitol was, quote, legitimate political discourse. But now it's like, first of all, yeah, like, no, it wasn't. But second of all, so but now you're actually rejecting legitimate political discourse as it relates to fair um, or or some form of fair and standardized um, debate debates prior to a democratic election. So it's just yet another um, rolling back of norms. And it's, 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 it's really uh, setting up Trump to just um, shit all over the process again for 2024 and it's gross. And so I'm just calling it out. We see you. We see you. Very scary too to think that like Trump will have any say in the next election. And we know that he will have some sort of say, but all right. U.S. District Judge mm, get Catherine Kimball Mazel. Uh, so you may have all read about or heard about how the federal mask mandate for airplanes and other uh, modes of public transportation were struck down. Who is Catherine? <laughs> so she was nominated to the, uh, the federal bench by Donald Trump. Um, confirmed by a GOP-controlled Senate in Trump's uh, lame duck period in 2020. Cute. Despite being rated as not qualified. Mm. Sure, that would be my headline in certain magazines. (laughs) (laughs) By the American Bar Association is who rated her as not qualified. Yikes. Um, Yeah, she was 33 (laughs) at the time. Uh, one of the youngest people ever appointed to the federal judiciary. And at the time she had practiced law for four years and had tried two cases to verdict, both while interning uh, for the state attorney's office before she graduated from law school. So I feel Mm. like we've already set the stage, hopefully in my opinion, that this individual who has been given a ton of power might be like a promising or intelligent student. Mm but not someone who has made the case to make decisions of this uh... caliber and impact. (laughs) Thank you for giving my hands (laughs) what they needed. Um, And her, so her decision or her argument, I guess, because it's not up to her, but her argument came down to the definition of sanitation. Hmm. So the current administration argued that masks qualified as sanitation under the law. Mazella disagreed. There's a lot. You can get into like the depths of it if you really want to. Um, I do think it's worth diving into. Um, but she essentially ignored a legal norm that is known as agency deference, which means that judges should yield to the interpretation of federal agencies when the law's language is unclear. Basically, she shouldn't make her own definitions for these kinds of things. Um, she wrote that since the word sanitation is not defined in the statute, the terms quote unquote ordinary meaning, which basically means you find a dictionary from the time in which the law was made and you find that definition. Mm-hmm. So she consulted a bunch of dictionaries, which, you know, credit to her. You should. You have right. to. Okay. You must. Mm-hmm. Um, and some define sanitation as to clean something, while others define it as to keep something clean. Doesn't seem like a big deal. 
I promise you it is. Uh, <laughs> she uh, acknowledged that the latter definition would include air filters, air bar- barriers, masks, gowns, other personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. Obviously, masks is part of that mask mandate. But then she says she has to choose between two definitions. Um, there's no reason she has to do that. Mm-hmm. She's just decided to express that she must make a decision. Um, and just about every um, decision that she makes, every dictionary that she cites from that time period uh, defines sanitation to a meaning that is more narrow than the one that she has chosen. Um, Hmm. And she misunderstood how the federal government operates during a national public health emergency. Hmm. Um, And there are legal scholars that speak to that as well. Two of my favorite quotes. One is from a legal scholar known as uh, James Hodge, who says this is a really serious deviation from not just what we're trying to do to protect the public's health, but a misstatement of federal authority in emergencies to a great degree. And Aaron Fuse Brown said that the opinion amounts to a breathtaking amount of political judicial activism that should chill us all. Um, And the justice department has said that they will appeal partially because of precedent and not wanting the CDC to have to issue mandates for emergency public health. Hmm. Wow. You know, what's interesting. It's kind of like when, it's so interesting when, <laughs> when, <laughs> when people make these decisions where they're like, I only had two choices. I really, I, I, I was like only, I was there. I was forced to decide between two definitions. Kind of reminds me of when Comey was like, there were two doors I could do, you know, when he was mm-hmm. assessing how he would handle the Hillary Clinton thing. Um, and it's like, no, there were like, hundred percent not two doors and even the two that you evaluated the other door was better but anyway like frame when when people politicians judges it's they'll frame it as like these were the two options and -hmm. i think it just also goes to show like why there are certain personalities who are in in public more than others because that's so easy for people to say like i saw two options and create that dichotomy and make it seem super simple well i must have had to go one way or the other and it's like that is just not actually true um so it's way oversimplifying yes yes Ugh. anyway okay so that's that's a massive we see you um my last one, super quick. It's just um, a promoted headline that rubbed me the wrong way today. Um, it was from New York Magazine, and it um, it was a picture of Ansel Elgort from uh, West Side Story because um, he stars in it, plays Tony. Um, and unfortunately, with West Side Story, the, there were allegations um, around Ansel Elgort that sort of clouded people my ability to fully fully enjoy the whole movie because i was just like ooh this guy like is seems like there are creepy allegations against him mm-hmm. it just like makes things less fun i don't want to like come in here and like burst the bubbles of our like listeners but <laughs> it's often true <laughs> it is correct sadly. me if i'm wrong maria nope no correction here that rings uh that rings true um so 
there's this picture of Ansel Elgort, and then the New York Magazine headline or like the tweet is West Side Story. Oh, and okay, so then the the article is titled "A Timeline of the Allegations Against Ansel Elgort," but then the tweet says West Side Story co-stars Rachel Zegler, Ariana DeBose, and Rita Moreno address the claims over a month after the premiere. That's the tweet, which just drove me fucking crazy because these women don't have allegations against them. They just starred in a movie in good faith with someone, an an actor who they assumed didn't have uh, creepy allegations or like wasn't a creep. What Um, an assumption. I know. And it's really, in fact, super unfair, super unfair to them (laughs) that they like had to act with someone and uh, develop an intimacy with maybe someone who's a super creep. Mm -hmm. That's a bummer. Um, whole like environment yeah yeah and it's unfair to the whole cast and crew frankly people put their blood sweat and tears into this and then for ev- for it to be easy for people to basically say i don't want to see this because ansel elgort is maybe a creep is really a disservice to everyone who worked really hard on the on the movie anyway so anytime i think about that i get really frustrated and sad but this was just kind of like a step too far because it was sort of like, look, I will click on a timeline of the allegations against Ansel Elgort. I'll click on an article about that. I want to read it. I'd click on an article about what Rachel Zegler, Ariana DeBose, and Rita Moreno say about lots of things, but do not try to get me to click on an article about Ansel Elgort's allegations by trying to clickbait me by dragging these three women into it and centering them as the tweet to get me to click on his allegations like a timeline for that women <laughs> don't you hate it when allegations <laughs> yeah i just feel like they should just just leave them out of this they didn't ask for this they probably at some point it became unavoidable and they all had to comment on his behavior or the allegations but like i just think the whole thing was really shitty and clickbaity and um it was yeah so we see it in new york mag for that one boom boom Done. good thing we uh what were we what was it <laughs> students and their loans oh student loans oh yeah everyone should really listen to the daily from earlier this week on the student on student loans because it was good um and uh it just like kind of made me laugh uh a little. I mean, it's not funny. The whole thing is so frustrating, but it's it's funny thinking about how like the Biden administration is just sort of like clattering along, um, dealing with it poorly. Um, but I, for one, am thrilled. I will not be paying a single cent until I am absolutely required to. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Good. Good for you. I'm pretty happy about it. Also, a funny funny thing about that too. Apparently, the the company that had assumed the debt after they've gone through a couple of loan servicing departments. There's been Sally Mae, then there was Naviant. And I tried to log on for tax purposes recently. And they were like, oh, wrong login information. Or like, we don't, you know, this doesn't work. And I was sort of like, "Mm, I'm pretty sure I haven't changed it. And then it turns out that because this loan servicer has basically like opted out of servicing loans because it's too hard and there's also nothing to service. Hey, I'm a loan servicer. It's a bit too hard. <laughs> it's too hard. And also they're irrelevant. They've been irrelevant for a while, so they don't actually yeah, have to fair. really service many loans. Anyway, it's turned into a whole cluster and I enjoy every moment of it. Yay. To them. 
to cheers to us to us most importantly to us yeah well i think that probably wraps up this episode what do you think i i think so (laughs) i feel it's wrapped Feminists Without Mystique is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcast. Toodles. Bye. <laughs>